Today's first Bible reading comes from, comes from Isaiah 64, starting at verse 1, all the way to the end of the chapter. And that can be found on page 752 of the Church Bible. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help... You come to the help of those who gladly do right who remember your ways but when we continued to sin against them you were angry how then can we be saved all of us have become like one who is unclean all our righteous acts are filthy are like filthy rags we all shrivel up like a leaf and the and like the wind our sins sweep us away no one calls on your name or strives to lay or strives to lay hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all, of, we are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look up on us, look up on us we pray, for we, are your, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation, our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire and all, that we, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Good morning, everybody. Today's second reading uh, will be from 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 1 through to the end. And that will be found on page 1228 of the Church Bibles. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This we know, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love from, for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which has been given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed 
the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God who does not continue to sin, sorry, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and that and we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus Christ he is he is true he is the true god and eternal life dear children keep yourselves from idols keep your bibles there we're going to finish the letter of john today 1 john 5 if you've got that there last week i spoke about competing narratives uh, when we looked at 1 John chapter 4 and we're testing the spirits and not everything that you see here or experience is true, we test the spirits and we test the different narratives. Uh, one of the big narratives of our day and age that we hear all the time is the narratives of survival. It is currently quite in vogue to speak about uh, human purpose from the perspective of evolutionary psychology, basically human survival, that life is a game of uh, survival. And some people make a lot of money out of this. My brother-in-law, one of them, because he is the editor of this show, <laughs> it taps into the tribal nature of people to outplay, outwit, outlast. That could be a motto for your life. Some shows take it even further, as the name suggests, alone. Focuses on just one person's ability to survive in the wild, meeting all of their physiological needs for as long as they possibly can. Uh, again, the idea is that at the very basic level, we are made to simply survive. We love this sort of stuff, love this sort of stuff. In a strange way, these shows represent our, our age and what we think life is about, the glorified challenge of overcoming our physical needs. And that's because we think that our physical needs, our physiological needs are our deepest needs. They are the most, the deepest needs that we have as, as people. Maslow's hierarchy of needs represents this well, uh, at least it represents what people, what some people think about it. And that is to say that at the bottom is our physiological needs, water, food, shelter and and this sort of stuff, to survive, as it says there. And then everything else is built on that, top of that. 
safety and social community and esteem and recognition, respect, and then self-actualization at the top. All of this, of course, built on the bottom layer, the need to survive. There is a deeper need, which many people forget, though. Maslow forgot it. Most people forget it. And that is our spiritual needs. Our spiritual needs are deeper still than our physical needs. Because everyone is made for more than survival. We think our biggest problem is death. And it is a very big problem. Bigger yet, because if that's a big problem, well, the real problem would be if you couldn't find life. Really. Sure, the problem's death, but where do you go for life? What do you do about that? And that's how a lot of people live. They don't have an answer to that. So they live a life uh, without hope, which is terrible. We need to tell them, just as the Bible tells us, that life is more than just survival. Life is more than just living and breathing and eating. There's a 200-year-old story since Darwin about a 13-billion-year-old story that we come from nothing and we're going to end up in nothing and in between is nothing of any significance except for survival. And for some reason still, people think that, well, life's got to be more important than that. Now, they have no reason to think that except for the fact that there is an intuition in us which is correct. Life is more than that. Life is so much more than that. So what is life? If it's not just survival, what is life? In the Bible, life is Jesus. Life is Jesus. This is how we read it today. Key verse for today. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Key verse. That's what we're unpacking today. Our absolute most fundamental need for life. Our absolute most fundamental need for the Lord Jesus on, if you wanted to use Maslow's hierarchy, the idea of it, because on that basis, everything else comes. Without that, nothing else matters. First point today, life with Jesus. Second point, no life without Jesus. Simple as that. Life with Jesus. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So this is the first time the Christian encounters life, when they're born. Not the first time, the second time. The Bible calls this being born again, spiritually speaking. And it's, it's a metaphor, it's a picture uh, that tries to encapsulate the radical new life that a Christian gets or has or experiences when they become a Christian. Completely different. A new creation in Christ, the Bible calls it elsewhere. And you can tell someone is a different kind of person because they live a different kind of life. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God, carrying out his commands. So the mark of the Christian is that they love God. They love God. They want to do what God wants them to do. So a Christian loves to do what the Lord loves them to do. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. First of all, in a sense, keeping the commands of God is a burden. It is burdensome. God calls you to do it not like pass rate, 50%. The pass rate's 100%. It's kind of like TAFE, 100% competent. 
except you can't do it. So you're asked to do something impossible to do. That, by definition, is a burden. It is burdensome. John says it's not burdensome. And his commands, they're not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. That is to say that the person that is born of God can keep the commands of God. What is the command of God? It is to love God. It is to love God. And the person who is born again cannot help it. You love the one that saved you. That is the mark of a Christian. You love the one that saved you. And you love to do the things that God loves you to do. Which is why adoring God is one of the pillars of our church. It is also why the Pharisees, they can keep all the rules. They can keep all the rules. And they're the ones that get in trouble from God. They're the ones that get the most heat from Jesus. Even though they do everything right, they're the people that don't love God. But the Christian is different. It is not hard work to love God. Not hard work at all. However, the Christian is born into a world which is more like a spiritual war zone, as that passage says. spoke about. So the Christian is born into a spiritual war zone and that makes the Christian, that makes you more like a spiritual fighter, so to speak. Now when you're in a fight, I don't know what your weapon of choice is, uh, but my weapon of choice is a shotgun. I prefer the double O buckshot SG nine pellet rounds if we're in close quarters. Uh, for more off distance, I prefer the 243 rifle, hollow tipped point, uh, very damaging emotionally and physically for the target <laughs> and those around them. But we're in a different kind of fight. We're in a different kind of fight. Nothing of this world contributes to this fight that we're in. We're in a spiritual fight, as it were. And in spiritual warfare, the tools are different. John says that your greatest tool in spiritual warfare is your faith. Now you might think, well then the more faith I have, the better equipped I am for this battle. It's not quite how it works. Not quite how it works. Every Christian is completely equipped, no matter how much or how little faith you have, whether it's a little seed of faith. You put your faith in the right thing and you win. That's what the Bible says. It's not about how much you have, it's about what you put it in. And if you put it in Jesus, the one that overcomes the world, well, you overcome the world. That's how it works. What's the problem with the world? Maybe you can remember back six weeks, six weeks ago, John chapter 2, when we looked at the world and everything in it, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and all these sorts of things. All of them are passing away, he said in John chapter 2. Which brings us back to the problem of death. They're all passing away. Everyone in the world, everyone around us is trying to overcome a world in which everything passes away, them included. Everything passes away. And in their minds, in many of our minds perhaps as well, what we might put our faith in is in science or in medicine. We're really hoping for a breakthrough for whatever that is. But you can't solve the problem with the problem. Because everything in the world is passing away, nothing in the world will not pass away. Nothing in the world will stop us from passing away. Science and medicine will help us physically for a time, but spiritually, they're of no help for us. And like anything, everything can become a distraction from what actually matters. 
So it would be to make a category error. One of the young adults in the young adults group last week said, uh, it's like drowning in the ocean and trying to build a life raft from the ocean, the very thing drowning you. It's absurd. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's because life isn't found in the world. In anything that passes away, life is not found here. It is found in the Lord Jesus. Life is Jesus. He's the saviour of the world, which is what we're going to be thinking about all December as we unwrap each one of these uh, artworks reminded about the saviour of the world. And you should put your faith in him. You should trust him. Because he lived for you and he died for you and he's raised up and empowers you with his spirit. Which is what John goes on to say. He says, this is the one that came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. I think it means he lived for you, he died for you and he empowers you when he says this. I think the water represents Jesus' baptism. He's not baptised for his own sake. He is sinless, represents cleaning. He is perfectly clean. He is baptised on your behalf. He represents you. So he lives for you. He died for you, which is, I think, the blood, and fairly straightforward, that he died in your place for your sin. Did he come to save you? And then he empowers you. I think that's talking about Pentecost. He doesn't stay dead, but he's raised, and he says, you will be able to do so much more when I return to the Father and give you the Spirit, who leads you in truth. More on that later. And the testimony of God, the three are in agreement. There is a lot to... There are many reasons to trust God, basically. It shows that he is trustworthy and that you should trust him. You should put your faith in him. No matter how much faith you have, you should put it in him to overcome the world, which is passing away. And in so doing, you will be the one that does not pass away. As John says when he's talking to Lazarus or to Mary, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you believe in me, you will live. Even though you die, you will live. This is the testimony. God's given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Life is synonymous with Jesus. Having Jesus is having life. Trusting Jesus is having life. Having life, knowing God, a relationship with God, he's the source of life. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It comes from him. First point, life with Jesus. Second point, no life without Jesus. Neglecting him is to neglect life. Or to put it in the words of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you don't have the very bottom layer, life in the Lord, what else does that, what, what does anything else matter that you build on top of it? It doesn't matter. He goes on to talk about life and death. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, these passages are absolutely crystal clear, but we'll go through them anyways. <laughs> With answers for which will be very unsatisfying, I'm sure, because <laughs> it's very complicated, and I don't quite understand it myself. What's the sin that leads to death? That's what we're all thinking. What's the sin that leads to death? And... And how do I avoid it? (laughs) 
Is it talking about mortal sin, if you've ever heard that term before, mortal sin, which is something particularly heinous, like uh, adultery or murder or idolatry, which uh, John ends his letter with, keep yourself from idolatry, or blasphemy, which, uh, which is mentioned throughout the Bible plenty. So that if a Christian commits one of those sins they have effectively forfeited eternal life. Is that what he's talking about, the sin that leads to death? Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we've got such amazing passages like Romans 8, which teach us that nothing can separate you or me or anyone from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God when we're in Christ. There is no sin that is not dealt with past, present, and future that will separate you from the love of God. Such is his love. So great is his love for you. That is a passage to hold on to. It is complete and total. So I don't think it's talking about mortal sin. Is it talking about the sin of unbelief? Some places like in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus talks about the sin against the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sin. Perhaps something similar is going on. The sin of unbelief. I think we're on the right track. Because I don't think the death that he's talking about is a literal death. I think it's spiritual death. And I think there is only one path that leads to spiritual death, which is the path of unbelief. So I think that's probably what he's talking about. But to be a bit more specific and a bit more nerdy in the context of this letter, I think John's thinking really particularly of something you can really see and watch uh, happening. And I think John's talking about a group of people who've caused a lot of trouble in the church that he's writing to. And this group of people are schismatic and they're separatist. They deny Jesus' humanity. Uh, Maybe they said something like, well, he only came by the water. And John says... No, 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 he came by the water and the blood and the spirit. So they're denying parts of it. And they're claiming to be Christians who, but then in their actions they hate one another, which is why he talks so much about do not hate one another. Why would he say that if everyone loved one another? He's talking about a particular group of people that don't take seriously these things. So that's why John's writing. So that the church would trust in Jesus, love one another, believe the right things about Jesus and understand the importance of his death and the the truthfulness of his testimony. To do otherwise, to deny those things, is to, and when you see that happening, is to effectively walk in unbelief. And you can see that. I think John's saying, you've seen these people do this and walk away. That is a path that leads to death. Or we might say that, or he might say, that is the sin that leads to death. Now, wonderfully, that's not our church. That is not our church, which praise God for that. Our church works very hard at loving each other as a family. Our church believes in the death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus in our place for our sins, that he's fully man, fully God. We believe the things of the Bible and we take it seriously. But John, and actually that's this church as well, John's writing to this church and saying, I write this to you because you have eternal life. I'm encouraging you and I'm warning you, don't give these things up. Don't join that group that walks away. 
Don't give these things up. You'll be tempted to give them up. There's a lot of talk about evil spirits, the evil one in this book. What else is he doing but tempting people to walk away from the truth, to hate others, to deny Jesus, to forfeit life, to walk a path that leads to death, as they've seen others do? And maybe, you've, maybe that's your experience. You've seen others do, do that too. That's the nature of Satan's temptations because it's a spiritual warfare. That's what it is. When it comes to temptations, though, you're a Christian, you're in this battle, and you've got the tools. You will overcome them. The Bible makes that promise to the Christian. The Christian overcomes the world by trusting in Jesus and continuing to trust in Jesus. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, leading us in truth, so that we may know him who is true. And we're in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. That's how John ends his letter, encouraging us to keep going and persevering. And next week, when Pete looks at 2 John, he will be overjoyed to know people keep going and keep trusting. It is a great letter that we're going to look at next week. For now, what we look at is life with Jesus. There is no life without Jesus. He says, keep going, keep persevering, keep fighting the good fight, keep trusting in Jesus. As the band comes up, let me end with, these, uh, with our key verses for today. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Amen.